the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. Happy New Year. Today we're starting right off tackling a topic I don't think we've directly discussed in the past three and a half years of broadcasting together, Kathleen and I, feminism. Our important guest today is Lily Kate. Lily grew up homeschooled, Christian, classically educated in a family of eight in Texas. And as a young person, she headed to Los Angeles to pursue a career in social media influencing, gained more than 600,000 followers on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and also became connected all over Hollywood. But during COVID, Lily realized that the world of Hollywood is actually pretty dangerous and also not a good influence overall on today's youth and culture. So Lily changed her platform to speak out about social and political issues. I think before she might have been covering things like fashion. She's now one of the leading female voices of Gen Z, conservatism, and Christianity. She's a TPUSA ambassador, host of the Lily Kate Show. We met her at the recent TPUSA Pastor Summit here in San Diego. Welcome, Lily. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Lily, give us a little background. I went over pretty quick, but just briefly kind of tell us what happened during your time in Hollywood to maybe see things a little differently than what you had maybe before you went out there. Yeah. Well, for me, it all comes down to people. I'm a very relational person. And when we go to L.A., we'd spend time in Hollywood. I found that the people there were just miserable. I vividly remember going to dinners with TikTokers who were just, you know, gaining their first million, their second million. And these girls and guys, they would be miserable. The girls would be crying. The guys would just be having their heads in their phones the whole time. And I just realized the quality of person that that the lifestyle attracted was just not the type of person that I wanted to surround myself with. Because as it says in, I believe, Corinthians something, (laughs) Um, 513, I believe, or something like that. Bad company corrupts good character. And I wanted to keep my character pools clean. So that's really what I started seeing. And then during COVID, I was actually back home in Texas and really just saw this as an opportunity, saw COVID as an opportunity to start speaking out about what I was most convicted about, what I really wanted to talk about, which was Christianity and conservatism. And so that's when I took the cue to shift my platform. That's interesting. People that pursue fame and fortune often just aren't very happy. They, they, 
I call it driving neediness. They have a driving neediness, and I used to have that myself, and so I know I know about it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But but I want to ask you about biblical femininity, and you tell people you encourage women to find their biblical femininity and run toward Jesus. And you said I spend most of my time talking about fighting feminism. So tell us about what you discovered or what, how you define biblical femininity in terms of how you put that in your life and how your change in attitude affect you. And let me tell our listeners real quickly, Lily is 21 years old, so she's had a lot of life experience in her young years, but she's got a lot of life ahead of her too. So um, just explain about biblical femininity and what that means to you. Yeah, when I started getting into politics, I would listen to the biggest podcasters just to kind of hone my opinion, see what was happening in the world. And a lot of times people would blame things on, oh, it's the darn feminists. It's the feminists, oh, it's because of feminism. And I really enjoyed that that line of thinking. And I was intrigued by it because I'd never heard it before. But as much as I looked, there was no single person who was standing strong and saying, hey, Here's the research of why. Here's the history of why. Here are all the biblical reasons for why feminism is rotten and pervasive for our culture and also for just the order and hierarchy of how things should be. So I really found this empty little niche of talking about feminism and, uh, well, I guess talking against anti, you know, talking against feminism. Um, And I really just wanted to fill it. So for the last two years, I've really been studying feminism, the roots of it, the origins of it, where it came from, where it has developed, how has it changed, how has it been co-opted by a depopulation movement and everything else and how it's affected dating and relationships in the modern day. And of course, my foundation is the Bible. And so all of this does go back to the Bible. And so how I define biblical femininity is the pursuit or the expression of virtue and beauty and goodness by a woman. Obviously, a man cannot be feminine. A man can be effeminate, but not feminine. And the fact that I have to say that should uh, (laughs) speak volumes about where we are in our culture. But um, The words have even been twisted so much and uh, convoluted. I mean, you don't even know what it means anymore. That's why we have to define it and, and talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And You know, the Word of God, it talks about the order and the structure in which um, families and society should exist, which I take as, okay, well, that means since He created us, that order and structure is naturally something that we feel most comfortable with, that we adhere to. And it is our sin nature when that is upon us and when we act in our sin nature, that is when we rebel against those structures. So I... Yes. Feminism is inherently a rebellious, inherently a Marxist, and inherently anti-life ideology. And so what that tells me is the only way to fight it is with reinserting life and valuing life, reinserting something beautiful, reinserting structure, hierarchy, and also rejecting Marxism (laughs) completely. And that's what I believe femininity is in a practical sense. We need to fight radical feminism with radical femininity. And being a virtuous woman of God is the best way to fight uh, this feminist narrative. Absolutely. You know, they used to say, and I lived through when feminism first started coming in, and I was a young person, and I went from one extreme to the other. I went from 
a very home-oriented culture. You know, Mormonism, very big uh, emphasis on family and being a wife and a mother and valuing the family above everything, really, mm-hmm. into the hotbed of radical feminism. That was in, in, in Utah, I mean, and in also where I, where I was raised in California. But then I went into the to the Bay Area of California in right in San Francisco area and it was this this complete opposite. You were supposed to be a self-supporting career woman. They devalued staying home with your children, all that stuff. I mean, I just it really was different and it was a culture shock for me. But there is definitely a difference in the emphasis and the values and and so now you're now they were telling us the feminists that that's where all your fulfillment lies is in your career and outside the home started being a stigma to staying home you know it took place over a while but young people like you young women that's just taken for granted almost. And so you really have to go against that value system, right? Right, right. And it's it's a hard one because, you know, we're so inclined as fallen human beings to believe that material items and money and success in the world's eyes is the exact thing that we should prioritize. And feminism just uses that base desire, that sin that we can fall into as a main tenet of their ideology, which is so pervasive. And if you don't have the discernment um, and you're not in touch with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, and it's so easy to fall into believing those lies. But a lot of women are waking up and seeing, hey, I've been scammed by this movement. I realize I'm now 30 years old. I'm getting to the end of my fertile window and I have a really impressive career. Sure. But I come home at 5 p.m. at the end of every day and I'm miserable and all my cats and, you know, I want something more. I want something more. And so my goal is to really help young women see that they don't have to go down that path and have that regretful, painful realization when they're too old or too old is harsh, but when they are older and have given up so many years of a meaningful life they could have had. And, you know, I want to just refocus them on, hey, maybe getting married young is a good thing. Maybe having kids young is a really good thing because as you grow, life just keeps getting better and better and better if you have the proper structures and proper systems in place that the Bible endorses. Absolutely. And I can testify, I got married pretty young. And I had my kids young, in my 20s. And, and well, I had a baby at 40, too. But <laughs> the, my, I put my family first. And yes, I was able to do some things on the side professionally. I still worked as a nurse sometimes, part-time. But I, I never did put my career first. And I do not regret that at all. And and I think statistics show that young or young people, people with families are happier. They're, that's where our happiness should come from. And that's people that don't have a family, like you say, they come home in an empty house. Okay, they have, you know, paycheck or a they have their dogs or, you know, whatever, but they don't have their children. And and I think raising children is the hardest work there is, but it's the most rewarding. So I, I just want to say that to everybody. 
Better than a BMW in the yeah. garage, or even or even two two BMWs in the garage. Yeah. I want to I want to touch on another point though, and I'm going to relate this to a movie Kathleen and I saw recently called Time Changer. It, it brief synopsis: this Bible seminary professor in the 1890s who thinks that you can teach moral law independent of the Bible and Jesus Christ. He, he was a Christian, but he felt like there were some people that if you put Christ out there, you're never going to reach him, but you still need to t- teach him moral law. And then he's transported in this time machine to our time. It's a movie. And he can't, yeah, of course, and he can't believe how much, like the divorce rate when he was in the 1890s was 5%. Then he gets transported to our time and it's over 50%. And he just can't believe how much the culture's changed. And he puts two and two together and he he determines that. And one other thing he relates to is he saw Hollywood movies from from not his time, but from like the 1930s and 1920s when our culture was more Christian and so the more the Hollywood movies of the 20s and 30s had more Christian morals, but guess what? They were still almost 100% devoid of Jesus Christ. Well, People didn't pray. They didn't mention the Bible. They started leaving God out of all the movies, just like they left it out of, got it out of the schools. You know, our culture has just gone down this road of leaving God out. And it's and now we're reaping the consequences of it. So my question for you, Lily, is isn't it very difficult to convince a young woman to be biblically feminine in a sense if you don't kind of start with Jesus Christ? There are multiple approaches you can take to convincing women. Okay. Um, I mean, of course, the bottom line is we want to bring them to a place of full surrender and faith, and that 100% is always the goal. But if we're talking about femininity in the sense of, hey, your life is just going to be better, one of the most effective messaging uh, strategies that I've employed has been kind of what I mentioned earlier. You've been scammed by this system. Hey, it's time to try something better. And that something better is femininity. And through the family structure, through the emphasis on local community and the local church, um, that's where the message of Jesus comes in. Because I think on the face of it, women might look at Jesus and say, well, he's a man. So why do I have to learn femininity from him? And of course, we can get into the philosophical conversation about the attributes of God. But in terms of saving souls, Jesus is the bottom line. But this feminist message is focusing women on the wrong things. So if we can refocus them on femininity, the conversation about Jesus becomes a lot more likely to happen. Well, and and God was the creator. Jesus always loved women. I mean, he elevated their status as human beings, not as people that seek money and power. And right. So he spoke to them in the Bible that way, just as, as a human being. And right. And the Bible is so radically pro-woman, because you need to look at the Bible in terms of the context of the culture. And what Paul talked about in terms of husbands loving your wives is something completely unheard of to the Roman occupation in Israel and like where um, Paul did a lot of his ministry around Greece and Athens and all that. Um, You know, that is so unheard of at the time that women are not second-class citizens. In fact, they deserve to be loved in the same way that Christ 
loved the church. And, you know, people look at that and say, well, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. And it's like, yeah, but do you want to just like read one more verse down? <laughs> right, <laughs> or one exactly. More verse above, and you can see that the Bible is extremely pro woman. One more point about the Bible being so pro woman is in the genealogy um, that Matthew lays out in the first chapter of the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, there are five women from the Old Testament mentioned. Um, and of course, you know, we have Jesus, Jesus's mother, we have Mary, we have um, uh, Rahab, Ruth, someone, Uriah's wife, which was Bathsheba, and then there's a couple others that are mentioned. And just so we're on the same page, Matthew is proving in this family tree that Jesus was in fact Jewish, and he was in fact well positioned to be the Messiah that the Jews were looking out for, and the whole Old Testament was basically creating the backdrop for and and prophesying about. But in genealogies, you never included women. You don't include women in genealogies in that day. You do now because it's different times, but um, it's just amazing how these little details like that Jesus is so radically pro-woman and is making his case through women of the Old Testament for why he is the Messiah. So it's just so powerful when we look at the Bible in terms of the context of the culture and see how women are treated. And who was able to be the one to see him the first time when he was resurrected? It was Mary Magdalene. I mean, that, that speaks volumes as well. But tell us an experience or a conversation that you've had with young people where you you have this message about femininity and versus feminism, which does come out of Marxism. We'll talk about that a bit too. But tell us an example of a conversation you've had or an experience where you've reached somebody. Mm, Yeah, that's such an exciting question because I speak around the nation a lot to college-age girls through Turning Point chapters or Network of Enlightened Women chapters or any kind of more right-leaning chapter. And, um, you know, when I go onto these college campuses, there are these girls who are obviously in college. Chances are they've taken out a lot of student loans and are going to be in debt as soon as they get out of college. Not every case, but a lot of cases. And I go in and I... Right, right. And I tell these women, I'm like, hey, you've probably never been told this before, but you don't have to follow the blueprint of the life that feminism and the world broadly has laid out for you. You can choose to be feminine. You can choose something better. And here's how it can look. And then I have this fun, you know, bullet point list of, hey, try all these things and integrating these things into the context of your life and use the ones that enhance and, and match up with your personality best. Things like how you should dress, how you should talk to people, how you should engage in conversation. Um, You should remember people's birthdays and always bring them presents. Like you should just liven up your life um, in terms of your femininity and your circle and sphere of influence. And when I tell them this, something natural in these women wakes up. They think, huh, I haven't had a romantic, beautiful, life-giving life. And the path I'm going down is not conducive with that either. Hmm. So it's amazing because, you know, as a speaker, you're always reading the room, seeing how people respond to your message. And usually the rooms are dead silent, not because what I'm saying is bad or not engaging, but because these girls, this is the first time they've been told, Hey, it's okay to be feminine and you should really pursue it. 
because you will be happier and you you can create a life that you love. In and that a includes a family. Way. That includes marriage and a family, I hope. I mean, <laughs> Yes, 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 Just, yes. I, I always like to meet them where they're at, which is why I start with uh, social relations and what you dress and what you wear and things okay. like that. Um, yeah, but they've perverted that even. You mentioned about you speak a lot on college campuses, and one of the uh, philosophies that's so pervasive on college campuses, which I'm sure you are familiar with, is this concept of intersectionality, which maybe all our viewers aren't familiar with, but it comes directly out of Marxism, and it's this idea that every single person is either one of the oppressed or they're one of the oppressors. And as it relates to being a woman, it means that just the fact that you're a woman and not a man means you are oppressed to some degree. Now, of course, now of course, if you're a woman of color, then you're more oppressed than a white woman. And then there's other right. things that can come into play that can make you like triple oppressed. <laughs> but yeah. it, it, there seems to be some people, and, and absolutely not all, but this idea of feeling like a victim like just from the way you were born you're already you know behind things how does that come into play with the things the conversations you have or how is that affecting young women women of course are told that all men everywhere are out to get them all the time and it puts women into this weird paralysis and paranoia yes that's what they're told and it puts them into this like weird mental fog where they assume that every man has the worst intentions. Maybe not that he's going to punch her or run after her, but that even if a man is saying, you know, hello, how are you? You have a pretty smile that he's has the worst intentions with her. And so it, it, it makes um, a gate or a wall in between any kind of relations that men and women have. And so many women are just not finding adequate partners because of this paranoia and fear on both sides because the me too movement which is an outgrowth of feminism has bred a hesitancy in men approaching women that we've never seen anything like it before and that's what we were just going to ask you about how is how's it affecting young men too so yeah that's you know when i look at the for lack of a better word as we say gen z generation i'm actually more maybe it's because i'm a man but I'm more concerned about what's happening with young men these days. There's, uh, you know, drugs, porn, lack of motivation, all these bad things. So, Lily, how is feminism affecting young men? And maybe how does that play into your conversations you have with women? Yeah, well, of course, feminism has emasculated men. And that is its expressed goal to remove men from their power source, which is their masculinity, and, you know, plug themselves into that power source and also to abolish any structure that might have a man in it. And um, so feminism is inherently, you know, deconstructionist in that way. But yeah, men have just been pacified and their power has been taken away from them in terms of their masculine power, not in terms of their, you know, power in the world's eyes. And um, inherently women want men who are strong, who are active, who will stand up for what they believe in, who have a focus and a dedication and are up for challenges. But feminism tells women to reject that. Um, you know, and, and we are seeing a huge masculinity crisis in our culture. And I don't want to attribute all of the masculinity crisis 
to feminism, although feminism does play a very, very large role in the masculinity crisis. But here's here's the thing. We have this masculinity crisis. We also have a plethora of male influencers who are really talking about it. And we have this resurgence of restoring masculinity, whether it's through gym bro culture or people going to church more often, people going to men's retreats, and all of that is so good. But I'm looking over the shoulder of this conversation and saying, okay, well, what's the next chapter? The next chapter in this conversation is we're going to start identifying that we have a real crisis in femininity, where we just... We just negate and disregard femininity because we've all been so steeped in feminism. So I'm angling in and prepping for the conversation and ready to be there with open arms when the culture shifts its eyes upon women and says, okay, so we figured out this masculinity thing and we figured out a solution for it. But what about the girls now? And we didn't even have time to get into how this relates to or is rooted in the global reduction of population agenda mm-hmm. they don't want fun they don't want people forming families and having children but the answer is jesus the answer is going back to how we were created to be the answer is re- restoring our natural womanhood and femininity and we are so proud and happy that you are out there speaking about it and so we thank you for being on our show today. Keep up the good work. Keep ha- up having those conversations and come back again and talk to us. And listeners, follow Lily Kate on social media. She, it's really worth doing. I've recently started doing that. She has great stuff. Bye-bye. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the biblical citizen. This is Kathleen Melanakos, co-host of Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Saturdays at noon here on KPRZ. I'm announcing that vaccine injury support groups are forming here in the San Diego area as we talked about in our recent Biblical Citizen podcast with Jana Bruins. For more information about these vaccine injury support groups, contact WeCareForYou99 at AOL.com. That's WeCareForYou99 at AOL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.